But uh, we're going to hear from God's word now, and uh, Maggie's going to come and read to us before Aidan speaks. The reading is from 1 Peter, verses 1 to 12, and then chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's select exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Don't want to get injured at a place of work, so uh, it's quite wet up here. Anyway, should we pray together? Father God, thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, for Sarah and the joy that it has been to baptise her this morning. Thank you for our own baptism, baptism into a faith and a living hope in you. I just pray as we spend some moments thinking about uh, one Peter together that we might uh, experience something of you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
So good morning, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to you this morning. Uh, hopefully, many of you know who I am. My name is Aidan, uh, and I say that because this is sadly my last Sunday morning here at Christchurch. Uh, it's a joy. Uh, it's been amazing to be part of the church for three years. If I haven't met you before, uh, you are so welcome to stay. Uh, everyone is welcome to stay for a lunch after the service. It will be a joy uh, to see as many of people as possible, to say goodbye, but also just to have a church social and hang out together as family together. Um, it has been a privilege to baptise Sarah this morning. I was a bit concerned this morning and my fears were revealed when uh, the, we got into the water and the water kind of got out. But, uh, you know, it was good. It was colder than I was expecting. But anyway, <laughs> so this morning I have a slightly strange task, just the way the weeks have worked, uh, to, uh, to kind of, uh, f- as I say goodbye to you, as I say goodbye to Christchurch, uh, begin a new sermon series. Uh, We're beginning a new sermon series for this summer, uh, looking at the letter of 1 Peter. Uh, And uh, hopefully you'll remember, if you've been here with us over the last uh, few months, we've been covering uh, the whole Bible at breakneck speed. We did the whole Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation, in 14 weeks. Uh, It was quite ambitious, uh, but I know lots of people really benefited from it and have said how much they benefited from it, uh, and that was was brilliant. Uh, But this series of 1 Peter, in many ways, is going to follow on uh, from that series, and I hope you uh, benefit from it over the weeks to come. As I've said many times before at Christchurch, I absolutely love our vision statement. Our vision to be a church that is learning to live the life. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful vision. The life that it talks about being the the hope-filled, joy-bringing, peace-defined life in all its fullness that comes with knowing the creator of the universe. This is a life that is there for all of us and is one that we are invited to experience, we're invited to know relationship with God, and then live it out in our day-to-day lives, Monday to Sunday, when we're gathered as a church or in our small groups, but also when we're scattered uh, to our various front lines around the place. But in saying that we are learning to live the life, we recognize that we're not yet the finished article. We all of us have plenty of room to grow, Things to learn, parts of the Christian faith to understand better, perhaps things in our lives to change as well. And as a community, we are on this journey of learning to live the risen life of Jesus. I really do love this vision. It's going to stay with me for years to come. But as a team of service leaders and preachers, we get together every couple of months to review how our worship services are going, and we try and discern where God might be nudging us. think no one noticed. <laughs> I, I would probably blame a toddler who was playing with it earlier. But uh, <laughs> any idea where I was? <laughs> right, so we try and discern uh, where God's calling us as a church uh, in any one season uh, to go with. And we felt called to go to look at 1 Peter. We're aware that in the last series that we've kind of, we've covered so much of the learning part of our vision. Uh, Learning, that the emphasis has been on learning. We've been learning to read the Bible better, to read it more, to understand it and interpret it better. 
learning about the God that is revealed throughout its big narrative, its big picture narrative story. Uh, I think as preachers, I know I did as certainly, uh, our sermons have somewhat, we've been struggling to make them not lectures, uh, you know, especially when I had one morning to cover 60% of the Old Testament in one morning. That was, that was a challenge. Um, <laughs> and of course, that's okay. That is hu- a huge part of our vision is learning, and it's a huge part of the point of sermons is to learn uh, together. But we really wanted to do a series that, uh, that, that put some of this learning into practice. And that led us to 1 Peter, a letter very much focused on living a life for Jesus that is very different uh, from the broken world around us. We've got this little subtitle, Confidence in a Complex World. This letter hopefully will help us find confidence in our faith, confidence in Christ in an utterly complex and often puzzling world. And we must be on to something, because last night I, was, uh, I discovered that 1 Peter is actually the kind of vision uh, book and the, the driving force behind the Lambeth Conference that's going on in a couple of weeks. The Lambeth Conference is, is the, the kind of Anglican Communion's uh, time where once every 10 years they kind of get together, all the leaders, and to kind of work out and declare the vision for the Anglican Communion around the world for the next decade. And they're focusing on 1 Peter as well. So it seems relevant for us in a small setting, but definitely in a bigger setting as well. And my aim this morning, just briefly, is to give us a kind of overview of the letter of 1 Peter. uh, And then we'll look at our passage, and in particular, one verse within it that I think is quite relevant for us this morning. Now, 1 Peter was originally written, uh, as the name suggests, by Peter. Uh, Peter, who was one of the disciples, uh, but he's also written, as the last verses show, with Silas, or Silvanus. Uh, they were co-workers for the gospel. Now, Peter, if we look at him, he was originally one of the 12 disciples. He was originally a Jewish fisherman, uh, and he features prominently throughout the gospels. Originally, his name was Simon, Uh, He he had the name Simon, Uh, but Jesus gives him a new name, gives him a new purpose. He calls him Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for rock. That gets translated in Greek. The Greek word for rock is Petros, hence we get Peter. Uh, So 2,000 years before Dwayne Johnson was even thought of as a thing, we had the rock first. Uh, You know, that didn't go down very well at Quakers Road, that one. Uh, It went over some people's heads. Don't know. Uh, Anyway. This, this rock wasn't a, a movie star, but he was a life and a world changer, a fisherman who changed the world. Because Jesus promised that he would, he would become a leader uh, amongst the apostles. But his story in the Gospels is especially often one of, one of falling short, of failing. He's always saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. Uh, and of course, his most famous shortcoming comes on the night that Jesus was arrested, when he denies even knowing Jesus three times. Uh, Kathy and I had a conversation about this a few months ago, and we were, we were thinking and comparing Peter and Judas. And it's an interesting comparison, because after Peter denied Jesus, uh, after he hears the rooster crow, for the, and uh, he knows that he's really let down Jesus, he's betrayed Jesus, he is ashamed, he was broken by this experience. But unlike Judas, who betrayed Jesus and then gave up on life, Peter stuck around. He was there. I don't know what mindset he was in. I can't imagine what that was like, but he stuck around. And in that place, in that place of desperation, he received healing and forgiveness. He was restored. Uh, He was there when the women declared that Jesus' body was gone and they believed he'd risen from the, the dead. 
He, he went to the tomb. On, in John 21, we have this amazing story of Jesus meeting with him, having breakfast with him, uh, restoring, redeeming, and recommissioning him to feed his sheep. And that's what Peter does. He goes on. You know, Peter is proof that we can never do anything to make God give up on us. He's always inviting us to experience life in all its fullness with him. And we can never go so far to run away and escape from the love of God. And so Peter went on. You know, if you were here last week, you'll have heard the story of Pentecost Sunday. When Peter stands up and declares, full of the Spirit, declares the gospel to thousands of people. And thousands come to faith and are baptised. And that leads us then to his letter, this letter. He goes on to be a leader in the church and, and towards the end of his life, he writes this letter. We believe it's towards the end of his life because in the very final verses that we heard today, he says, she who is in Babylon or one who is in Babylon. And it's kind of a coded message uh, referring to Rome. We believe this is Paul, Peter writing when he is in Rome just before he is martyred in 65 AD. Peter was writing, said Babylon, because it was kind of a code, because they had to write encoded messages back then, because the early church experienced extreme persecution. Peter, as I said, was martyred uh, soon after this letter. And we don't know how he knew the churches uh, that he was writing to. He was writing to these churches in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. We don't know how he knew those churches. We don't know why he was interested in them. But he was writing this letter to a group of churches who, like him, were experiencing extreme persecution. And he wanted to encourage them in their suffering. And that clearly informs the themes uh, of the letter that is to come. And as we said through our last series, uh, I'd really encourage you this week, Spend 15 to 20 minutes reading the whole of 1 Peter. It's only five chapters long. It doesn't take too long. Have a, have a read of it if you can this week. Get an understanding of the big picture and the story of where we're going. But over the next six, seven weeks, rather than just looking at the big picture, we are going to get down uh, into the nitty-gritty and look at some of the details of this amazing letter. And so let's think about our passage for today. Our passage for today. It's amazing. It's an amazing bit of writing. I've, this first thing that struck me this week. It's a, it's, it does multiple things. It welcomes, it's, it's a kind of address, invitation, and a, and a kind of introduction to, to Peter in the letter. It says hello. Uh, it says who it's to. But he also then writes a hymn of praise to God that cleverly uh, kind of um, gives an introduction to the themes that are coming up in the letter. There are three kind of main themes that we'll find through the letter. Firstly, uh, Peter talks about family. He talks about identity as family uh, in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. Thank you, Sharon. If we can have one more click through. Ah, there we go. As Christians, we have a new family identity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Peter writes about how this family identity in somehow informs us and supports us as we go and experience suffering. It helps us to see suffering and pain somehow as a way to witness to Jesus. And finally, this, this life, this identity uh, through life's ups and downs, uh, he, to, he, he encourages us to help to have our focus on our future hopes of Jesus' return. These are the themes we're going to be covering uh, in the coming weeks. These are the themes you're going to be looking at. Um, but, but they're all here in this one passage in the beginning of chapter 1. Firstly, family. 
The letter starts with his introduction, and Peter is writing, as I say, to these churches in Asia Minor. They would have been full of non-Jews. They would have been full of Gentiles, as they're called. Uh, But strangely, he uses language that is more reminiscent of ancient Israel, of Israel in the Old Testament. Much like God chooses Israel, Israel that went into exile, of course, much like God chooses him to be his people in the Old Testament, God likewise chooses us as Christians. Verse 1 says, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this is a common theme for Peter, as we'll find through the whole letter. He wants to encourage these Gentiles to realize that through Jesus, they are chosen and part of a new family, a new people, a new church. And verse 3 continues this theme of finding our new, uh, our new birth, our new hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And that hope is one that will ultimately be realized as Jesus returns in the last time, as it says in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. So there we have our third theme there. We can have our focus our future hopes on the return of Jesus. But verses 6 to 9 of the reading kind of delve into this middle theme of suffering bearing witness to God. Because somehow, uh, in those awful tribulations, all those awful experiences that that church must have experienced, they somehow are encouraged and were witnessing to Jesus. Both within themselves and their own faith. You know, as, as Paul, uh, Peter writes about how uh, as they, they, they persevere in their faith, as they call out to God in their need, their own faith is refined. But also, it's, it's as they experience faith in God, as they experience the, experience the inexpressible and glorious joy, as verse 7 says. The inexpressible and glorious joy of knowing God, even in the midst of trials, that somehow tells the world and speaks to the world around them of the goodness of God. Now, obviously, we're going to have more time to think about these themes in the coming weeks. Uh, But it's important to remember that Peter isn't saying this from on high. He isn't saying, right, you over there, little Christians, you need to, to, even though you're going through tough times, you need to smile uh, because we need people to know about Jesus. Of course, Peter is going through this exactly the same thing himself. This is what he has experienced. He's writing as a persecuted individual to encourage other persecuted people. So that's where we're going. But I want to to finish. I want to focus on verse 3. And Sharon, I wonder if we could click through so we get to verse 3 and put that up. Verse 3 is is my favorite verse in this passage. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we think about this verse today in the light of Sarah's baptism, perhaps in the light of our own baptisms as well, that we can always renew and and reaffirm uh, and think about the commitments that God has made to us and us to him. But also, uh, just thinking about this verse in light of Kathy and I saying goodbye this morning. All of the symbolism around baptism, all of the symbolism is, is around new life, around this, this risen hope, this living hope in the resurrection of Jesus. As the person being baptized goes down into the water, we are celebrating that they are washed clean of their sins. But as what comes with that is a death, a death to the old way of life. Now, this is a, a, a hexagon, hexagon-shaped baptistry, but actually in a lot of baptistries you'll see, uh, especially when they're built into churches, you'll find that they're coffin-shaped. 
They're often coffin-shaped, and that's deliberate. It's symbolic of actually when you, when you go down, you die. You, the, you die to the old life. But then as the person comes up from the water, we are celebrating that in Jesus we are born again. Born again to a new life, a risen life in Christ. Now, unsurprisingly, when people come to faith, uh, when people get baptized, it is probably my favorite part of church. It is the most exciting time uh, to, to be in church and work in and around church. Not least because we often hear stories like Sarah's this morning that, that as, as people share what God's done in their life, it encourages and inspires our own faith, doesn't it? But also, um, you know, in this time, I know that actually new Christians are amazing. New Christians are amazing people. Um, Sarah, for example, has been amazing since, you know, in your journey. Uh, since coming to faith, you've been, like, excited to go to everything. You've signed up for everything. You've gone new courses. You've got small groups. You've chatted to Anita all the time. You, you offered to do gardening for us, which I really, really appreciate. Um, we did, <laughs> we, but, you know, just everything, being part of this new family. I know um, Paul often invites Tim, uh, Tim Fear, to come and share about uh, Alpha whenever it is. And I remember when we first came to the church, him advertising Alpha because he'd come to faith through one of our Alpha courses. And he was so excited to share Jesus that he'd experienced with other people. New Christians, I find, are often bursting with this new life and this resurrection hope. And they can, and those of us who've been Christians for a lot longer can be inspired, can be taught, can be challenged by the by our brothers and sisters. I know I can. It's why I passionately believe that that, that new Christians and young leaders uh, and young people, especially maybe who've just finding their own identity in Christ, can lead the church in their in our faith. We can they can inspire in us in our faith, but also especially in our evangelism as we share our faith. But as, we come to, as I come to finish, as thinking about this verse as we say goodbye this morning, uh, I know that we are leaving the church in a slightly uh, tricky place in some ways. You know, we are doing amazing things. It's been amazing to see how the, growth, the church has grown in the last year as we've emerged from kind of lockdown restrictions. And I'm, I'm so happy and, and glad with what the church is doing. But I recognize that we also last week had the news uh, of kind of, again, there's been a prolonged wait for our new vicar. We're looking at uh, the autumn until the next round of interviews. Uh, many of us will have concerns about that. I know Paul and Anita and the rest of the staff team and volunteers uh, are working so hard to maintain the life and ministry of this church. And it would be really nice to have a new vicar soon, wouldn't it? And of course, this all comes in a bigger context as well. The world is what it is at the moment. We've had two and a half years of probably the hardest life we've had as a world since the world wars. Um, we, we, this doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. We have cost of living crises. We've got the war in Ukraine. We've got the climate crisis just around the corner that is, that is so monumentally big. So what does this verse say to us this morning, I believe, in this space? Through the coming days, weeks, and so on, my prayer is that we might and that you might hold on to the living hope of Christ this shared identity, this life and hope that we have in Jesus. It may be something we can't always see, as Peter says elsewhere in our reading. It may be something that the world does its best to distract us from. But it is real. It is lasting. It is everlasting, in fact. Jesus is alive. And when his spirit lives in us, and his spirit does live in us, and he is coming back 
at the end of all times. Even when everything else in this world fades, the love of God in Christ that we have experienced as a church will continue. And this is hope. This is a hope we can have for now. This can uh, guide us in, our, in any struggles that we may have. But it's also a hope that we need to share with everyone else around the world. People who need this hope in their life. You know, I've said how much I love the vision of this church, learning to live the life. Well, I, love, I also love the vision of where we're going. We're going to the Diocese of Derby. And their vision is the kingdom of God, good news for all. Good news for all. This gospel we have, this hope we have in Jesus is good news for us, but it is good news for all. And it is one we can and need to share. Just as happened with the early church, somehow as they endured suffering and persecution, but yet still lived in this new hope in Christ, as we as a church, as Christ church, continues to live in this new life that we have, even in spite of all our own troubles, we are a sign of the good news of Jesus. We will be a sign of the good news of Jesus that he has for everyone within Downend, Staple Hill, Bromley Heath, and so on and beyond. Hold on to this living hope of the resurrected Jesus and share it with others. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you so much for every single person here. Thank you so much for everyone watching online as well. Thank you for this community, this family that we are. Thank you that you unite us as brothers and sisters. Lord God, I pray that you may guide us and give us a new living hope this morning. Restore us, especially if we're feeling hopeless this morning. I pray for anyone who is in that place, that they would know, just like Peter, there is nowhere they can go to escape the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and that you are calling out to them and reaching out to them. I pray that more and more uh, my brothers and sisters here may experience life and life in all its fullness. And that somehow, even through the trials and the tribulations of life, we might proclaim you and the good news of you to a world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name.